Welcome back to The Company We Keep with your host, Allie Bowes. For today's finale episode, I've compiled my favorite short stories and tips for following your heart, courtesy of season two guests. Sometimes you just need a quick dose of inspirational moments to remind you who you are, what you're capable of, and where you're going or where you want to go. Keep in mind as you're listening, many of the stories shared took months and years to fully play out. And of course, things don't always make sense until they're in the rear view mirror. So if you're following your heart in a specific direction and are not at the next milestone or goal yet, please do not be discouraged. Take a deep breath, reset, re-inspire yourself, and keep going. And if this is you, please know that I'm right there with you trusting that everything is playing out as it's meant to be. The story is still unfolding, and sometimes we have to leave things off on a cliffhanger. That's what I feel like I'm doing with season two, but that's exactly where my life is. With this end to season two, I'll be doubling down on my focus towards making sure I'm ready for what's next for myself, focusing more on my own inner work and making sure that every step I take is in alignment with my highest self. I could sense a lot of changes coming in my own life, and I want to make sure I'm super present for those changes so that I can use them as fuel for what is to come in season three of this podcast. I look forward to bringing on more and more guests, sharing more stories about my own personal journey, and perhaps even introducing special series within the show. But in the meantime, let's have a listen to top tips for following your heart from our season two guests. In no particular order, each season two guest will be featured. You'll hear the stories of following their hearts and the wisdom gained from doing so. Similar to how I've done before, I won't be introducing each individual person, but the show notes have the speaker lineup and timestamps so you can identify who is speaking when. Of course, if you want to hear more on a specific person, you can refer back to their full episode that was previously released. Enjoy. I was young, actually. I think age seven, which I know sounds crazy, is when I first mentioned to my mom, I was like, I really like this. And it was because of my pediatric dentist. So I would go to visits and I like, I would be so excited to go, which no one's usually like that to go to the dentist. Right. And so I was like, ah, you know, this is really cool. And you met my mom. Uh, she's very supportive and she was always encouraging me. She's like, well, if you're interested, you should stick with it. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. So I started talking to my pediatricist every time I was in and she was like, you could shadow me for a day. I didn't do that till I was a little bit older. So about 10 is when I shadowed for the first time. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, I definitely want to do something in this field. And then I got braces and that's what led me. I was like, oh, you can do just braces. You could specialize and just do that. I was like hundred percent. That's what I want to do. And I stuck with it. I was happy that I was able to actually get into dental school because I'm like, okay, this could have gone one of two ways. And Travis can attest to this because when I was applying for dental school, I had gotten a couple of rejection letters from different schools. And Travis was, he was super supportive. He's like, it's okay. Like, you're going to be fine. You know, you'll, you'll get in. And I'm like, I, and I remember crying and I, cause I, he was just like, in worst case, you know, you can do something else. And I'm like, no, there's nothing else. Because just of what you said, I never had a plan B, you know, there's like a saying, it's like, 
don't have a plan B because it distracts you from plan A. That's literally how I was not even realizing I was that way. It wasn't until that moment I realized like, I don't have a backup plan. This is what I want to do. Dental school, I remember my first exam was more than I ever saw on a final in college. Like it was just so much information that I had to study. And when you know you want to specialize, when you know after dental school, you want to continue on, you have to be a top 10%, keep your grades up. So that was always in the back of my head. So that's why I say it was daily more for me where I'm like, keep your eye on your intention. You have to be on top of your game or you're not going to be able to meet your goal. Like no messing around. We're in the big leagues now, you know? I mean, I'd have breakdowns constantly and it was just, it was frustrating. Sometimes I would call my mom or Travis, even before I'd moved and they were always just, you know, like I said, that's why I am so grateful. Like having a support system, I don't care whoever it is. It could be a friend, family, you know, some of you met recently, just having someone where you can kind of pour out to when you're having one of those days, maybe they don't even say anything, but they're just there to listen. That was really big for me and pushed me through. She was basically like the financial coordinator that would help you with student loans and things. She said something really important from dental school interviews. And I, and I remembered it. She's like, dental school is going to be crazy. No matter what you do every day, take an hour to yourself. She's like, I know you guys have to study, but take an hour to yourself. My first year, I was not taking care of myself physically at all because I was prioritizing studying, which yeah, it's important, but I was doing that over basic necessities, you know? And it's like, I feel like not eating the best either and things like that. It's just, you know, it's easy to do that when you're caught up in that environment. So just taking that hour to myself to truly do whatever it was I wanted that day. And I don't really nap. I should have probably been sleeping more because I feel like I wasn't sleeping at all with like the crazy hours or like me and my friends, if we would go out to dinner, even just something like that to take us away from it for a little bit and then get back in it. So that was really helpful for me. Like a lot of my biggest hurdles, I'll say, were with grades. And it was just like, once I realized you can have a bad test, a bad day, and you're still going to be fine in this field, then it got a little bit easier. So I think that was just like the biggest thing for me. And then residency, because I had set myself up well, I got a good amount of interviews when it was time to, you know, do my specializing interview. So I felt good about that. I felt confident. So I think having those hurdles in the beginning helped me out a lot because I wasn't in panic mode constantly when something else happened because I figured out how to work through it. Residency for me personally, like it's challenging. There's a lot of reading that's associated with it, but like, Errol, you finally got here. You're going to be an orthodontist now and you're going to be just fine and it's going to be great. So just push through these last two years and it's, it's going to be fine. And it was, it yeah. was 10 long years, but a few pinching moments along the way for sure. And very blessed to have made it to this point. Be proud of yourself along the journey. Make those little victories a bigger deal because I would, you know, it was like always the negative things that were a big deal, not the positive. And, and so I would tell myself to do that more. It's like focus on the positive and for the negative, make those, obviously they matter, but don't make them ruin your entire week. It's not worth it. You know, life's too short. You'll get through it. You'll push on. So like I said now, like, okay, I'm proud of you. Like, I wish I would say that to myself more back then. Like, I'm proud of you. You're doing well. So just to, you know, don't kick yourself when you're already down, like figure out a way to stand back up. TikTok with this generation, knock it all you want, but it's a great way to express yourself and then learn a lot too, like from different people. So when people ask me questions, I try to like answer them and, and be helpful and 
be an inspiration for them because I like, I didn't feel like I directly knew anyone that I was able to talk to besides people I had shadowed, obviously. No one in my family was in the field. I didn't have anyone to ask questions to. Even in my direct messages, people will message me and ask me questions, whether it's about their teeth or their journey. And I try to always get back to them. Um, sometimes like DMs get lost, but I always try to get back to them and just help them along their way. Cause I know not everyone has someone to talk to. Like I've talked about a lot how my family has been a big support, but I know not everyone has that situation. I remember someone did actually message me once that she wanted to be a dentist, but everyone in her family said she wasn't smart enough. And that broke my heart, you know? So I tried to be encouraging to her and explain, you know, you can do whatever you set your mind to. That's up to you. It's not up to anyone else to determine that for you. So after college, I knew that I could not jump into that nine to five. I knew in my heart I couldn't do it. Although I felt the pressure of society, you know, and family and just whoever is like, okay, what are you doing? And my heart just told me I'm ready to be nomadic. I want to explore. I'm okay with making $25,000 a year for this year, if that means traveling and having adventures that I know my spirit yearns for and I have no partner and I have no kids and I have no lease and I have no car no I have no anything like it I knew it was time for me to have that so I worked a couple odd jobs and hustled in Indianapolis lived with my parents for several months which is amazing and then I made that switch to the seasonal position on the Canadian border drove my little Indiana city girl behind all the way up to the Canadian border, down a dirt road. Keep in mind, there's no running water where the staff live. There's no heat. We have to put wood in there constantly. Extreme winter temperatures, essentially. No, yeah, extreme winter temperatures. But I trained my butt off for that position. I was a seasonal guide. And that opportunity being accepted into the outdoor community is what kind of opened the door as far as I had a mentor. Um, I say mentor. He's really just my coworker and my friend. But he was an avid through hiker. And after me kind of like doing my first solo camping trip through that job, I realized, okay, well, I could probably, you know, do an actual trip on myself and plan it. So this coworker sat down with me at a coffee shop, like helped me explore what kind of, you know, climate I would need in a hiking place or how I would get there, how I would resupply, how I would do my water, um, how I would plan out mileage for each day and all that. And without someone with that knowledge, without that door, without that key to the outdoors, I wouldn't have been able to plan my first big outdoor trip, which was um, I did a quarter of the Arizona National Scenic Trail. So I did 290 miles. It's a little bit over 800 miles trail from the southern border of Arizona all the way north to the northern border. Girl, solo backpacking has really been something that's really shaped my identity and built my self-confidence so much um, in that sense. I'll never forget the first night I was backpacking solo. Oh my gosh, I was in tears and I was like, why did I do this? I was like cursing at myself. Why did I do this? I am scared to death right now in this little tiny tent and it's pitch black, like anybody, you know, come up on me. And it was crazy because wild horses, I cannot make this up. Wild horses came so close to my tent that night. And I was like, oh my God, I'm about to get stomped out by black beauty in this thing. Nobody's gonna remember who I am. But you make it through and it's so memorable. And 
just empowering is the word I would say. It's the most empowering thing. And sometimes, actually all the time, you feel more safe as a solo female in the national forest or in the woods than you feel as a solo female walking on, you know, a side street in the city, truly. And I think it's interesting. I lived in one of the northernmost cities in the continental U.S. Now I live in pretty much the southernmost city in the continental U.S. And I mean, I've been, you know, Key West is only three hours from us in Miami and South Florida. So experiencing such an extreme change in climate and lifestyle was very interesting for me. And I just, in my 20s, I want to see a lot of places and I want to live different places. So that was the motivation to really just switch it up and go somewhere where I had no family or friends. And it's terrifying, definitely terrifying to move somewhere solo, but I always encourage that for people because everybody can do it. And you can just teaching yourself that you can build community in somewhere that's completely new is also really empowering. And it also teaches you that you're going to be okay, no matter what you do. And you see who you are outside of the context of your hometown. Essential. I'm honored to kind of have so organically integrated myself into the community down here. You know, nobody owes me that, but I feel like the way that it started was me supporting a lot of local art events and movements, again, just by me being there by myself or, you know, bringing people, connecting people and such like that. So the more that I went to events and was just simply a witness of the culture, um, of course, my adoration grew for the art scene in Miami, but I also saw my niche as to what I could provide. In Indianapolis, actually, right before I left for Minnesota, I curated and hosted an open mic event. Um, and kind of what I was going for was a space for diverse voices. And I had never really seen an open mic show where it was truly different types of acts. So started with that in Indianapolis, then I kind of recreated that in Miami because also felt that I could provide that for the community. So just added local vendors to it, added local bartenders, local gardens, sold their stuff, local authors sold their books. Meanwhile, there was um, performances, local DJs, and really tried to just highlight grassroots efforts and local artists in the community. Because for me, it's, of course, if you want to be famous, I don't judge that. But I think there's something to be said for what is the local art community and what's going on at that level and what's tailored specifically to that community's expression and what that community is going through, whether it be, you know, whatever trauma or joy that community is experiencing and just, I don't know, highlighting local people because local people, a lot of times we know are just as talented as people in the top 10. I really, really loved my job, but I was definitely plateauing. I noticed as an individual, I was no longer growing. I was just missing that spark that's just always been part of my life in all areas. That spark was then missing from my career. That tied into financially. I felt limited in what I could do. Even when I was looking at becoming a yoga instructor and investing, I, like I said, the iPad for pretty people was a big investment. Becoming a yoga instructor does come with a price tag. And I had gone to my 
my dad and my mom and said, you know, I really want to do this, but I need you guys to, you know, invest in me. Would you invest in me? And I'll, I'll pay you back when I can. And my dad and mom, they looked at me and they said, we love you, but if you want to make that investment, you're going to need to do it in yourself. And that really motivated me to, then I was like, okay, I think it's time to go find that spark again in my career a benefit of that will be that I'd be, you know, making more money and be able to say yes to things that I was finding myself wanting to say yes to. I was nervous to start, you know, looking, but right before I had rotated to my new desk, my old boss had shared the best piece of advice for me. Cause I think she knew that, you know, I was no longer as happy at that company and had shared that you are so much more than your desk. Your salary should encompass not only the work that you're able to do on your day-to-day, but what you bring, who you are as a person, how you influence other people, how people respond to you, your hobbies, your passions, you know, like you have the background now, you're in the creation of a small business and you are a media, you know, planner and a small business owner. Your salary should reflect that. And that was, oh, I had shared that piece of advice with you, Allie. And it really changed what I thought if we were to put, you know, a price tag on me in terms of my career, or my job, that upped it way more than I ever saw. Yeah. The number became much bigger. It really kind of motivated me then to start looking as the stars would align, like a position opened that I had been actually looking at pre-pandemic, but there was no openings, but a company I was interested in, I had worked with, I, you know, I really liked the people there and it was getting me excited when I thought about what that job would look like. I would just like sit in excitement and picture myself in that job. I really do believe in timing of things. Like I am a believer in signs and, you know, that everything really is divine timing. And now reflecting back on that time, that job was not open for a reason because I was not yet my best self to be the best performer in that job. But in that time, I really started to sit in those feelings and I would spend 10 minutes a day feeling what that would feel like. What if I woke up with a salary that just allowed me to do things and I didn't have to say no. And you know, how, how grateful would I be? How happy would I be? How financially free I would be? And all that came true within eight months, that job that I had looked at a year ago opened. There was a little bit of delay, which You know, I was just like, if it's meant to be, it's going to be as the new year rolled around interviews happened. The people I I was interviewing with were fantastic. It was like the best interview process I've ever been through. And at the end I had written down, they are going to offer me more than I even asked for. And sure enough, that happened. That phone call came through and the HR person said, you know, McLean, we would like to offer you 
this job. And he's like, you know, everyone you interviewed with really enjoyed the, you know, the conversation. And he had said, I, you know, this is what we plan on offering you. And he goes, before you can even say anything, he goes, we as a company believe that you are worth this. And, you know, on our our end, our team wanted to make sure that it was going to be very hard for you to say no. And all those days I had spent thinking about what it would feel like to be offered a new job and to make X amount of money. When he said those words to me, not only (laughs) here's how much money you make, but our team believes you're worth it. And we want you. I started crying and I'm trying to hide my tears because I want to be professional and, you know, and he's like, okay. And you know, we'll give you some time to think about it. And my real response to just wanted to be like, yes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) thumbs up. (laughs) When do I start? But You know, I did, you know, take the time and think about it and discuss it with my support team. And, but when I hung up the phone, my, I was at the time living at home uh, for just a brief stint um, with my parents and my dad walked in and I'm going to start crying. (laughs) He's, and he said like, he goes, you got the job, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And I said, they're offering this this amount of money. And my dad started crying. And my dad said, you have always been worth that. And this whole conversation, what we've talked about, I've not ever seen myself in the box of sometimes pushing those, you know, boundaries or not being afraid to step into something that is new with maybe someone who's higher up that you're intimidated by. And all those times I advocated for myself when it was not easy and it's uncomfortable to do in that moment, all of that, my last three years of my career. And even before then it led me to that point of believing in myself of all that time, no matter what anyone else thought that I deserved this. I knew I wanted to do women's health after nursing. I was on labor and delivery for my clinicals and I was just like tearing up with these like strangers as they gave birth and was like, okay, there's something here that I'm like getting this emotional and excited to wake up at four in the morning to go to the hospital. So I knew women's health is where I wanted to go with it. It was great. I like definitely everything that I was learning and doing. I was like, I I know I'm on the right path. And I graduated, started working, and I started to notice this feeling in me of quickly feeling burnt out. And it was like, it was only like a year and a half in. It's like, whoa, how is this happening? I knew this is what I wanted to do. And something just wasn't feeling right. And the difficulty is that Even though nursing definitely has more of a holistic aspect to it compared to medicine, there are still a lot of components that are very much influenced by Western medical model because that is the setting I was working in. I was working in OBGYN in a Western medical setting. And while medicine absolutely has its place, I'm not anti-medicine or anything like that. I'm in it, I'm in that field, but it's just, there is definitely, that's not the only option. And I think 
especially in our country, it's very much viewed as like the first line and for some the only line and that's kind of it. And you go there when there's a problem and you get medication and the medication either fixes it. And if it doesn't, you go back and get more medication and there's no talk of anything else. And that just started feeling very frustrating with working with patients and like seeing them for the same things, but also starting to reflect on my own health journey. So since I was like 12 or maybe even 10, I was having debilitating migraines, saw a bunch of neurologists, was put on anti-seizure medications that made me feel absolutely terrible. But I started to just accept that as like, okay, well, if I'm going to feel terrible for a bit and then eventually I'll feel better, like, I guess this is what I have to do. So that went on for years. It got only worse when I was in nursing school, actually, all the stress of like exams. Like, I mean, I was getting migraines like three times a week. And again, even in nursing and in that field, like no one was really talking to me about any other thing, but like, oh, did you see your neurologist? So that was like one thing that I, I've dealt with like my whole life. Also cystic acne, which actually like reared its head more so when I was in my twenties, went to multiple dermatologists who gave me creams, gave me antibiotics. None of that would work long-term. Eventually I was put on Accutane, which is like a heavy duty medication. And at this point I was working as a nurse. My skin was like peeling on my shift. I felt like I had done everything and I was like, just give it to me. Like I just want whatever I can get to like help. And it helped maybe for a year and then I stopped it. And then the cystic acne came right back, like even worse. And wow. by that point it was just like, oh my God, like what is going on with my body? Why is this happening? And so I started looking more into food. I think, you know, I feel like a lot of times people on their health journey, they just get to this point where just like, okay, I need to look for like something else, you know, and yeah. it's the silver lining of it because for me, it really helped to start looking more at the foods I was eating. And up until that point, I really didn't put that together at all. I was the girl who got like Big Macs and chicken nuggets and French fries and pizza. And I loved it. And when I was stressed, those are the things I wanted. I drank soda. I mean, I did all those things. I never drink water. No shock that a lot of the things that I just was saying, I was going through like, why? Like now it seems it's so clear to me, but it sometimes takes time to almost like unveil like the things that you're doing every day and really like the responsibility that you have and what that does to your body. So once I started really diving into that and learning more about plant-based eating and that connection, I started just making changes. I'm pretty radical. Like once I make up a decision, I kind of like my husband always says I'm very extreme, but I just, I go all in. <laughs> so I yeah. just dedicated myself to vegetarian for a month and said like, let me just see how I feel. And at that time, my skin was really bad and I did it for a month and I started noticing it wasn't gone, but it was starting to calm down. The redness was kind of dissipating and I was feeling really good. I, I, and you don't realize sometimes when you're feeling bad because it becomes your baseline. And so yeah. when I started feeling really good, it was like, oh, I like this. Like, I'm going to keep going. And one month turned into two months. And now I'm almost, I think it's four or five years now. I kind of lost track. And in that process, I decided to drop the dairy because my skin was still really reacting. It helped with plant-based, but when I let go of dairy, which former cheese addict here, like absolutely love cheese. I get it. I've heard over and over from clients and patients of mine, like I can't give up cheese. I know I was there and I would, I, I literally said like, I will never give up cheese. 
Well, I did because my skin loved that change. And for that, I will never go back because I feel so much better in my body and my skin. So for me personally, I just realized the shift that I had and the healing that I was able to really have when I looked more to holistic things and looked at my body as a whole. But then once I like went through that journey for me, it really became clear of like, wait a second, I can't keep doing this where I'm working in a space where I'm also kind of contributing to that same cycle. I was seeing a lot of things that I just felt like I really want to help people. I, that's why I became a women's health nurse practitioner. And I don't feel like I'm helping in the way I really want to. So that is where I decided to create the ladies guide, which is my Instagram, but also um, my business of seeing clients one-on-one and devoting a full hour to learning all different aspects of their life, their health, really understanding what is going on for them. Most of these people, most of my clients have gone to multiple doctors, were told, you know, there's not really much we can do, only birth control, only surgery, like, and they're just kind of beyond frustrated with their bodies and want to be heard and have solutions. And they are interested in holistic, you know, wellness and holistic wellness is really about optimizing the body. So it's working its best and you're feeling good every day. Like we shouldn't feel like crap with headaches or chronic fatigue or bloating all the time. Like that's not that's actually not normal, but our society kind of makes it seem normal. And you know, probably so many people who have those things, you're like, oh yeah, like it's, it's part of life, right? It's like, no, it's really not. And the more I thought about doing my own thing, the more excited I got, because the idea that you could bring something to the world that's truly a reflection of who you are and what you want to do. What a gift. And I think as I launched my business, that was the overwhelming feeling that I got was I just feel so grateful. Like I feel so grateful that I get to create something. I was scared, but I think also there are a lot of therapists who own private practices. And so it wasn't something completely different or something that I couldn't get information on, right? So I absorbed a lot of content and information that way. And I think I just felt really grateful. It was in November. And so for a couple of weeks, I thanked, you know, different people on different days. And like, I'm a first generation college student. Like I never thought I would own a business, but it's been going so well. And I'm surprised and also like not surprised if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. I love what I do. And I think people know that and feel that. But yeah, it was scary. Yeah. But it was fine. And I think there's privilege in that. So like I, yes, I quit my job, but I have a husband who has health insurance. And so, you know, that was something I didn't have to worry about that. And so I know that not everyone is within that space where they can do that. And so that made it more comfortable for me to be able to take that risk and take that plunge, but it's been great and I don't regret it. I love it. And I'm content in it, which is nice. Like I use the word content because it was a very hard thing for me to grasp in the beginning. We live in a capitalist society (laughs) and as soon as you're successful or you experience success, 
the expectation is not to stop and be content, but to continue moving forward, to continue saying yes, right? To continue mm -hmm. to move things on. And I think I'm someone who, when I'm creative, I get lost in that and I don't come up for air. And so I think that's something that it's a beautiful thing, but it's also something I have to be very conscious of and tread carefully with. So when I was successful, people, as well as kind of the media, I was consuming like podcasts and things like that, were like, what other things could you do? Do you want to do a group practice, right? Do you want to do online courses? Do you want to do, um, I'm really good at writing content and, and website. Do you want to, you know, like start this arm for therapists? And I definitely got consumed by that. I was going to do some online courses and maybe I will in the future, but I realized like now is not that time. I even made a page on my website that said courses coming soon. <laughs> like, And I just realized I don't want to do that. Like I built this life and I have this job so I can be present and do what I do well and have a life that's more balanced where I can pick up my daughter and I can be a part of her life. And I think the hardest part was putting aside, like, I don't need to do something extra. I can go and maybe paint something for myself, which I haven't done in a while versus make a course, you know? So I think that has been the hardest thing to put down, but I, I'm there. Now I'm just scared. <laughs> if something excites me, I'm like, well, I don't know. No, I'm fine. Thanks though. You know, appreciate it. <laughs> I'm a little wary of it, but I think that was the hardest thing. And I think a lot of it just has to do with our society is as soon as you get success, you're expected to build upon that success. But I think no one asked themselves, do I really want that? What's the sacrifice of that success on the other side? Yes, I will make more money and that'll be cool. But financially, is that is that really necessary for me right now? And what will I be losing in place of that? And is that something I want to lose?